Welcome to Why the Long Face, two old friends lifting the lid on mental health over a beer with author and psychiatrist Paul Keedwell and business consultant and so-called comedian Ollie Turnbull. I'm enjoying a Sauvignon Blanc. I bet, you, I bet you're, good at, you're good at ordering wine, aren't you? I, I'm just rubbish. Uh, Oyster Bay is the most famous um, uh, mass-produced uh, Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> Pile of crap. Get. Oh, no, really? no it's, it's good, isn't it? it but I, I'm not, it's yeah. good for a white wine. I'm, I'm a red wine drinker, so any white wine, as far as I'm concerned, is a bit shit. Oh, no. But I am I'm enjoying a um, co-op Rioja. <laughs> Um, wow. 2015. So suggested by the co-op sommelier. Guess what? Came in. He said, what are you going to be eating tonight, sir? Yeah. Eating peanuts and pie. Oh, in that case, have you tried the... Uh... <laughs> yeah, we tried the... Uh, <laughs> the uh, oh, product of Spain, just in case you didn't know Rioja came from Spain. I knew that. It tastes all right. I really don't get it. It was on offer for a, a lot reason. of my mates have been on these wine courses and they look at the menu and go, mm, oh, yes, no, that sounds great. And I've, I, I know nothing about wine. I just, I, I like most of it. Have you got to the point where you can look at a menu and go, oh, I'll have that. No, oh, yes, that's a really good year. Or if nope. you do that, you're bluffing. Uh, no, I don't even bluff, don't even bother. So I think all you need to do... I'll just go, I like a Rioja, that's usually yeah, reliable. Exactly. So if I go do, for France, French wine, I quite like it, but it can be unreliable. Yeah, I can nice. always rely on a Rioja or a Malbec from Argentina. You sound like an expert already. Well, one thing I won't do is go for a Malbec from Chile. Who's going to do that? What kind of loser does that? I've no idea. A Merlot, maybe. Yes, of course. You see, you sound brilliant. Anyway... Well, we are going to talk today about loss, which is actually quite a big subject. But a loss can be uh, any loss, really, can't it? Yeah, so um, you, you, I mean, you're familiar with the Holmes and Ra stress scale, are you, presumably? Is it, uh, stressful life events. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because the top, the top one is um, divorce, isn't it? Death of a spouse, mate. Well, that's a loss. Ah, and so right. is a divorce. Yeah, so the top ones are losses, aren't they? Yep, always. Do- divorce do- is second, isn't it? Incredibly, divorce is second. Right. Marital separation, imprisonment, death of a close family member is below that, which is surprising. Personal injury, uh, dismissal from work, and these all get a life change unit score. Yeah, uh, and it starts at hundred with death of a spouse. It's a great illustration of when we're talking about loss, we might be talking about different types of loss. Yes, that lead to a bereavement reaction, and in some people might lead to depression. And I suppose the app's about a bit about normal grief um, first, and then how we distinguish that from someone who might suffer from a depressive illness after a loss. Right? Is exactly that the point of this? Right. That's that's one of the main points of that. Exactly right. Some of it is a normal reaction, and some of it is something that could be described as clinical depression. Although, as we have said before. Um, you can consider depression. Wag your finger at me. I, I, I was, not, not you, I was wagging my finger in a... In sort like of you were giving a... Very good, um, like I was giving a lecture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like, at least a seminar. I am so gammon these days. No, I don't you're know fine. If you, know, you think? Well, no, you're gammon at rest. We've established that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you wag your that. finger, you <laughs> get even more gammon. And you the, get, you get the ultra conditions we've established. You become ultra gammon. Ultra gammon. The gammon ultras. It's <laughs> like PSG. You go from ultras. slightly pink to... <laughs> through a range of lobster red through to purple. Yeah, and I start saying things like, I think you're fine. And uh, <laughs> it's not as simple as that. And uh, you haven't changed a plug before. Um <laughs> But what the point I was making was that um, although uh, the cycles of grief, which we'll go into in a minute, are mm. normal, um, your, your premise also is that depression itself, although horrible and, and clinical, is also an actual reaction to stress events. Oh, so well, that's where it gets all... Area. Well, that, that we should, well that, so it gets a bit complicated, yeah. 
If we go back to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's Five Stages of Grief, depression is one of those stages. So she came up with this in the 60s, and people have, since then, reassessed this, thought, well, okay, people don't necessarily go through these stages in, in, in a particular order, and you may not get all the stages of grief. But her point would be, yeah, that's okay, Just, but I, I need to, you need to be aware of these different stages of grief hmm. so that when you're going through it, you don't think you're going crazy uh, because this is this is normal. Well, let's dive in. The five so, stages. What the first stage is denial. Denial. No, it isn't. It's not my favourite stage, but it's quite a good stage. <laughs> You've got a favourite stage. I, I know. I know what your favourite stage is. What is it? It's acceptance, man. No, it's not. Spoiler alert, though. That's the fifth one. Yeah. Uh, no, well, it's not. But I, I'll tell you what my favourite one is when we come to it. Well, it's got to be. So, it's got to be bargaining, then. Yeah, it's anyway, bargaining. It is alert. bargaining. It yeah. is bargaining. Your phone's going. Oh, Turn it fine. off. So denial then, you get the call, someone says, your mate Pete's died, he fell off a roof when he was roofing. And it's like, he's dead. no way, I, I spoke to him and yesterday. Like, yeah, you know, I spoke to him yesterday, and went, you're lying to me. Hmm. You're lying to me, I'm not having that. Yeah. I, I know you've ever had that, because I've, I've had losses, and actually, I didn't have that, but all I did have was the kind of numbness, the kind of, sh- you know, when you, because it goes along with that shock, initial shock. Thing. Which is a protective thing, do and you think? I think, well, definitely, yeah. Because if you didn't have that, you wouldn't be able to get on with things, would you? Yeah, <laughs> and that's that can last, I don't know, five, seven days longer wow. in some people. Yeah, it's that it's that feeling of slight unreality. You know that thing where people go, I I expect them to open the door and say, "Hello, I'm 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 home." Yeah, uh, and they're not there. Is that is that sort of a symptom of it? You're 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 still in your reality. Uh, they still exist. Your 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 spouse. And yeah, you're welcome for you're waiting for her to come home. I think that's right. I think that's um, and and you can cycle back into that denial. We have our funerals usually seven days after the death, don't we? Well, and and, and in some cultures a oh. lot sooner than that. So in the uh, right Islam faith, um, I can't remember how quickly it is, but it's very very quickly. Um, after after the right. uh, uh, the well um, my the uh, my sister's father-in-law died recently and um, uh, you know the funeral was uh, fairly soon afterwards and um, I was just very very aware I, mean, I didn't know him that well but I felt very much for my brother-in-law and his brothers um, because they started for the first time kind of processing the fact that he's definitely gone. Which is why we do this ceremony, I guess. Mm. Um, the, the, the the religious man often, or, or someone who is respected, or, or woman, um, says says those words. Uh, you see the coffin there. It's all very physical. Um, I remember my, my grand died. It wasn't a tragedy. She was very old, but we were all very sad. And to see her there, it was quite a shock for me because I'd never been to a funeral before. Uh, right. But it was, it, was, it was useful. There's a nice sentence here which says, There is a grace in denial. It's nature's way of letting in only as much as we can handle. Yeah. I quite like that. That's quite nice. Yeah. And it talks to some of the things you've talked about regarding depression and the fact that there's a sort of valve, if you like, which um, protects us from overload, um, if you will. And that, that this is quite a right. nice, elegant sentence um, describing what that... And as the denial like. gradually wears off, perhaps um, it becomes more and more challenging for us to deal with our emotions. And maybe feelings would be much more overwhelming if we didn't have that initial kind of... Uh, shock phase, numbness yeah. phase. So phase two, is it? Phase two. Oh, let's do it. Is anger. Yeah, you do phase two. We know this is a, another necessary stage of uh, grieving. I suppose it's that realisation uh, as the denial wears off that this person has either left you 
or this opportunity has left you and it ain't coming back. Mm. And that hits you with anger, I think. It's, it's sort of a, a bit of a rage against this injustice, if mm. you like. It's like, how, or why why me? That, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, My grandmother lost her husband uh, very young. He was 50. Mm. And she was still cross and she wasn't cross with the situation it's it's it sounds comic in a way but it's it's not it wasn't for her she was cross with him right she always used to go why could he leave me like this i remember even as a child thinking yeah well it's worse for him gran but i never said that obviously but he's dead <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah you can you can be absolutely furious with the deceased or in the case of a i suppose a marital breakdown or um you you're not ready yet to accept your part in that or the fact that maybe just people are not compatible and they they separate mm. which might come later at that stage you're like how dare you do this to me yeah you walk how how dare you have this affair or leave me or decide or just out of the blue decide you're going to have a divorce that's outrageous yeah yeah and people of faith of course sometimes their anger is directed at their god, god. yeah um, where's god in this uh, why has god let this happen to me i don't understand i know he uh, is uh, ultimately uh, universally wise but I, I can't see he's moving in a very strange way because he's making me so miserable yeah because I've lost my little one yeah it no. could be your child could have died I yeah. mean that's extremely difficult to, to handle how is that God's will whoever the object of your anger is it's a defense against your own pain isn't it if someone punched you in the face you'd be yeah. pretty angry with them uh, yes, yes, and that's a physical pain, but you're feeling an emotional pain, and you're reacting to that in the same way. Well, it's an affront, it's, isn't it, as well as the physical pain? You're thinking, hang on, how, how, how dare you? How could you possibly think that you have the right to uh, punch me in the face? Mm. I mean, I, many of the time I wanted to punch you in the face, uh, but you know, I yeah. pulled back. I pulled yeah. back because of yeah. your anger. Well, also because you know I'm from the Coventry, <laughs> and you'd come back windmilling in with those. Yeah, uh, exactly. Those from the school of hard knocks, quick limbs of yours. Um, so, yes, quick limbs, but not necessarily accurate limbs. Well, no, you went for the numbers game when it came to... Uh, a no, I just went <laughs> pretty good self-defence, which is a, a whirl of fists that don't connect, but no one comes near me. That was your. That was going to be your... Um, uh, you, when you were going to do that uh, martial arts movie, it was just going to be a whirl of fists. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> was that your Red Indian name? <laughs> Careful, calm down, whirl of fists. No, I'm going to get him. Sorry. Yes. Uh, what comes next? Well, um, it's your favourite, man. Well, I had a system here which was pretty simple. I was going to just be angry at something or someone. Yeah. Uh, and then at some point, that anger turns into a kind of, I can't be mad at you forever. Uh, maybe there's some way of getting you back. Oh my God, I'm pining for you. And uh, is there any way? Uh, can I pray to God to get you back? I was angry at God a minute ago. Now I'm praying at God. Uh, to get that person back yeah yeah if i could just have two more days with her or if it's a breakup it's a kind of uh or let's compose I'll change. or i'll compose that text message or that email in the probably forlorn belief that that's going to persuade that person to come back to you and it is my favorite stage i mean it is quite insane this idea of praying to the lord to bring this in a supernatural way, bring this person back to me. Well, well done for completely dismantling 90% uh, of the world's uh, beliefs in religion there, uh, Doctor. Well, uh, I think even, even the most ardently religious person would accept that this is a, a stage of grief and not a, not a way, not a realistic... That's quite a good uh, That's quite a good it's not, yeah. it's, not, it's not necessarily the case, even if you do have faith, that you believe that God can intervene in some way. I would never try to argue someone out of their faith because I think it's very comforting mm. for a while. And that bargaining with God might serve a purpose. 
An important part of bargaining that we haven't mentioned is the if only. Right. Which is self-blame, which I think is possibly a step towards depression or the stage of depression, which is I'm responsible. This is my fault. Mm. It's no less true than it's than the anger stage. My brother-in-law would mind me saying this, but one of his brothers had uh, real guilt for not coming back from his travels in time before his father died. Uh, as if, as if you know, that would have. In a way, that's a form of bargaining. If I'd come back in time, maybe he wouldn't have died. No, he still would have died, mm. and it wouldn't have made any difference mm. to how he died. Probably. No. Uh, no. And in fact, they said. Well, his father probably would have been angry if he'd come back yeah. just to see him die. He's like, no, you're Which young. most people would. Live your life. Want you to go and live your life. Yeah. If they truly love their children. Which That's most right. People do. Which he did. Ah, oh, poor guy. I yeah. Hope, I hope you explain that to him. And I'm so, sure you did very, Well, very I did my, I, I tried, I I, I, you everyone did, did but I, he's, did. I didn't really need to intervene uh, that much because his brothers were really good as well. And they were, and it was all about them um, supporting each other. You know, they'd waited all day by his bedside and eventually they sort of went, right, well, let's go and have some food. And that's when he died. And that's, that was, wow. you know. But this, this, the guilt is very common, I think, at this stage. So what's very interesting in what you just said is that I always thought depression, and we're giving, a, giving away what number four is, depression followed bargaining because the bargaining wasn't working. What you're saying is there is another way mm. that depression can follow bargaining, which is when you come to the conclusion through your bargaining that there is something you could have done, should have done etc false as it might be well kubler ross would have said after bargaining what is happening is our attention is moving squarely as they put it from the past into the present interesting right so it then because bargaining is about pining for the loss it's about negotiating god please bring this person back or maybe there's something i can do that thing of it's my fault but i can make this better if it's a relationship breakup that kind of thing so then there's a realisation after a certain natural pause. Your brain has just worked it all through uh, in a sort of anxious, very anxious, manic way yep. into then going, that hasn't worked. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, they're not going to come back. That's not going to come back. That that person who's died or left me, yeah. that's not going to, you know. So it's a little bit like learned helplessness. Um, the yeah. experiment that we've mentioned in previous episodes about the dog where you deny them that's an interesting one and they suddenly at the end of it go there's nothing I can do yeah. my, my mother isn't going to return my, my husband isn't going to return or that is pretty good actually as a way of looking at it yeah yeah okay, I've tried really hard I've tried to work through a way you knew really all along in your heart of hearts that this is not going to be reversed can I ask a question which is slightly tangential but can you go through these stages in a lot less, with a lot, a, a, a lot less pain and a lot quicker for any kind of loss? And now I remember in 1996 going out to Germany in the semi-final of Euro 96, having beaten the, uh, uh, the, the Dutch in the group stages and the Scots and then we beat the Spanish in the, uh, in the quarterfinals. And I'm sure I grieved. I'm sure I bargained. I'm sure I got depressed and I'm sure I eventually accepted it. And that was a stupid football game. Um, is it true that you can, uh, for <clears throat> relatively trivial um, life events, go through this same cycle? Obviously not grieving as much, but well, still the same. I suppose it's the same with the Holmes and Ra life events research. The, the limitation of that was ignoring the individual and the personal meaning for an individual of a loss. And in your case, in that situation, most people thought, might um, laugh at the fact that you went through those stages of grief, right? Yeah, but because, we, we were because, so close. Gaz was like inches. 
<laughs> from getting that goal. Surely you, you remember. You'd obsessed about it for months, right? <laughs> and it, it was a really important thing for you. But well, let's come back to that because we're at a very important, controversial stage, as we said, of the grief process. I know where you're going with this. Well, depression is a recognised mental disorder. But the stages of grief are excluded from the Diagnostic Statistical Manual and the ICD as a mental disorder. Grief is a... And the depressive phase of grief is regarded as a normal process. So let me get this straight uh, for our uh, lovely listeners. On all continents of the earth, by the way, I've just done the research. Yeah. Um, you are making a distinction between clinical depression, uh, your, your area of expertise, and the depressive phase of a natural grief cycle. I would make that distinction, uh-huh. but it's a great battleground for psychologists. As we said at the, at the very start, not everyone goes through all the stages, and not everyone goes through all the stages in, in this particular order. And... People oscillate massively. Yeah. They can go through all five stages in one day and then back again. And go back again. Wow. Um, but uh, the the depressive phase is really about going, I'm feeling really sad now because I'm properly processing what's going on in the present. And it's 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 that transition from think, harking back to the past in the bargaining to going to transitioning towards how am I going to cope in the future. Oh, that's beautiful. That's right? really elegant. But like during that, that phase, uh, it is absolutely normal to experience a lot of the symptoms that mm. you might experience in a clinical depression. And that's why it's very difficult. Uh, if someone, for example, came to see you as a doctor or a therapist in that stage of grief, what do you do? Do you go... Oh, wow, you seem to have all the symptoms of clinical depression. Um, maybe you should treat you for depression. Maybe you should even prescribe an antidepressant. But you, you could hear the, the weight of the American Psychiatric Association. No, 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 this is a normal process. You have to let it, let it ride. But most psychiatrists would say, this is a matter of length and severity. So some people would say, well, if you're going through a depressive phase at all, maybe you're already depressed. I don't really buy that. No. But if it's if they came to me and said, yeah, I've been stuck in this phase for three months, I'd be thinking, OK, well, let's ask a few more questions. And the sorts of things that might indicate more of a clinical picture would be uh, feelings of worthlessness, quite severe weight loss, really slowed up. Because actually, I think in, in a normal grief uh, um, depressive phase, you're not necessarily, re- you know, really retarded in your movements. You know, you're not. I think there's still you've still got the ability to sort of be, be to, to degree animated, but I think really extreme what we call psychomotor retardation, where someone is almost stuporous, that would indicate a clinical picture, and and hopelessness and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. So if the suicide and the suicidal thoughts are pretty strong, I think clinically you have to do something about that. You know, um, mm. people get fleeting thoughts that life's not worth living during grief, uh, depressive grief phases. But if someone is thinking, you know, we did a whole ep on it on suicide and we talked about gradations of intent mm. and that's what you would need to assess in that situation. It's never going to be black and white. But if someone is actually thinking about ending their life, then, you know, that that's a that seems to me a common sense indicator mm. that this isn't a normal grief process. Mm. There's something else going on here. And we'll come to your example of, 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 of Rich later, but... And pathological guilt. Uh, we've talked about normal guilt that you, you might get during the bargaining phase, but if you're doing the depressive phase, you're absolutely convinced that you're, you know, 
the the, the cause for got it this this loss that that is brilliant mm. a brilliant passage because it uh, for, for various reasons w- one it, dis- it distinguishes between um, depression that um, is part of a natural process and depression which is which is clinical so I, I think that's fascinating what one thing though and on, on an optimistic note is that uh, one thing that stuck in my mind about what you said before about the depressive phase of grieving was your preparation for acceptance and can you do you think in a clinical setting where there is no loss associated also try and use that model by which I mean is a depressive episode which isn't caused by loss uh, but is caused by um, some other event or or is something that you you can't necessarily put your finger on can it be framed uh, in the same way as 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 as, as a, a phase in your life or the, a phase in the way your mind is working which can lead you to some form of acceptance yeah and as a therapist can, is, is part one of the many things you do try to lead the patient towards that um yes that, 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 that the sunrise if you like of, yes except when you lose something or someone that's important to you Maybe that's echoing the time when you were admitted to hospital for a couple of weeks and you weren't allowed to see your mum or, you know, mm. that kind of thing where you, you were abandoned or, or had a sense of abandonment in a childlike way of thinking when you were younger. So this uh, is my favourite <coughs> part. This is my favourite part. Oh, yeah? This, Your favourite stage? The fa- my favourite stage is acceptance. Because oh, like, that's a cop-out, man. Of course everyone's favourite stage is well, acceptance. Yeah. That's where you want to get. Isn't well, it? yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But it's like, it's like chill and it's just like, uh, oh, wow, but... One thing is, is it chill? Yes, exactly. So before I say that, um, it's it's um, not to be confused with feeling per- great, right? <laughs> or feeling okay, exactly. Or feeling great about the loss. The rest of your life, you're going to carry a loss. Mm. Maybe you're going to go through all five stages again at the anniversary of that loss yeah. in a year's time. But it is that point of uh, life is for the living. You got to move on. Mm. Or in the case of a relationship, there's more fish in the sea. In the cold light of day. Having processed it all, it's a much more philosophical stage. But as it's you great. say, it's not necessarily the end, and uh, it's not to say well, that you won't go back, maybe with less intensity, um, to some of the other <coughs> the other phases. But you know when you're going into the acceptance stage because the good days start to outnumber the bad ones. But it doesn't mean you don't have any bad ones. Yeah. I think you wanted to talk about a our specific friend. example. Yeah, uh, our friend Richard, who. Um, Lost his sight. So it's a different kind of loss that to the loss losses we've sort of alluded to so far. It does. It's nevertheless, um, still a loss. An yeah, and loss. A, a couple of weeks ago, I spent a long-ish time on the phone talking to him about it. So this was a gentleman that both uh, me and Paul know, Richard Lane, a uh, wonderful fellow. A top chap. Yeah, <laughs> a top chap. A cricket lover, a music lover, a violinist, a raconteur, uh, a wine lover. More, uh, more cultured than me or, um, me or the... Christ, yes. Um, and and uh, yes, of course. Um, hailing from uh, the fine town of... Um, God, I've forgotten. It begins with B. Uh, Bedford. Birmingham? No, no. God. Bedford? No, the fine town. He's from town. Bedford? He's from Bedford, yeah. Oh, I've changed my opinion. He went to ba- Bedford Grammar. The, oh. the, 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 one of two grammar schools that he tells me in, in Bedford. The other one, Alistair Cook went to. Um, so he, he loves his cricket. <coughs> so... <laughs> The famous Alistair Cook went to the other one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is absolutely typical of, of his self-deprecating style. He's yeah. a very, very bright chap and very funny. Very bright, very lovely. But uh, when I was living with him in 1991, age 24, he was 24, um, he lost his sight. He lost his sight completely. 
So from not I having remember. the greatest eyes, yeah, mm. um, he went to not being able to see anything. So he had a connective tissue disorder, mm. which specific, which particularly affected uh, his eyes and his retina. Effect, retinas effectively detached themselves, didn't they? Periodically, and then, and then, and then, famously, permanently. Right. Yeah. Right. He's got quite bendy fingers too, right. which so we, we think is the same a, sort of thing. A completely different experience from uh, being blind at birth, crucially, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So then having to massively adjust to that loss, uh, which he did quite, he adjusted to quite well initially. Well, so it's really, really interesting. And, and this is why, well, we bring up the example because it's, it's one that we know um, intimately, but also it, it relates to what we've been talking about. So uh, I believe, that although it was a horrible shock and he talked about what's the point in going on, um, as he would really, um, you, yeah. one wonders yeah. whether what he was going through was actually clinical depression, um, certainly in the early days, weeks, months. And I, I, I'm wondering whether actually he didn't. He was going through grief, as you would imagine him um, going through it. Well, you said before you thought that the depression came later. Exactly. That this was a, um, a sort of phase of grief that you'd expect, which is... Oh God! What's the point? I mean, this is awful. Yeah. Um, but not to to the point where you think, uh, no, I seriously want to end my life, right? Correct. I mean, there were a couple of times down the pub after a few drinks where I thought I will probably check in on him. <laughs> um, you're, you're a good lad. Um, but he's a resilient guy. He's a resourceful. You're guy. good checking in, and uh, bless you. But the other thing about Richard that make him very resilient is not the fact that he's he's he is inherently resilient, but he loves life. Yeah, and I thought that was a massive thing, in, in, which which helped with him coping mm. this thing. He loves life. He loves but also, food, did he, he have food, um, he has friends? He loved dinner parties, etc. Right, but also because he because of that, he presumably had lots of friends who loved him back and were supportive, very supportive of him, well, or not? Exactly. Oh, in the early right, 100%. right, because I think that makes a huge difference um, to how you cope with loss is how much support you get around it and how that really affects the outcome and how yes. quickly you can come over it. But interestingly, he described when I talked, that's exactly right, he described when I talked to him a sense of guilt. Now, isn't that interesting that someone who's lost their sight feels guilt? Well, I can get that. I can understand that. It's different to normal loss because you've, you've developed a dependency. That was it. He you said, become he disabled. Said, yeah. He said two things. Oh, my God, I'm going to be in imposition on my friends. And oh, my God. Which is I'm not necessarily be, true at all. No. Well, well it isn't true. willing. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, and I feel like I've let my father down. Which Good al God. almost brought a tear to my eye because it's like, certainly, I, I knew his father. He's passed away now, but I knew his father. And of course, he would never have felt that. But it's a funny father-son thing. Um, his mother had passed away years earlier that you feel you've let your father down by something that's completely out of your control. And that was one of the things that... Um, well, I suppose that's a reflection of the generosity of the guy that he feels that. But, yeah, true. Um, you know, it's... Um, it's extraordinary the sorts of um, irrational thoughts that grief throws up. But the important thing to remember, certainly in the early stages of re reacting to a loss, is that um, you can have all sorts of crazy thoughts, mm. and this is part of the process. And I I'm wondering whether, paradoxically, the fact that he suddenly went into a programme of mm. training organised by the RNIB mm. kind of ironically helped in a way because he had something to um, concentrate on. He had to learn Braille. Uh, which was hilarious because he's um, he's got a great booming posh voice, uh, which when he swears is hilarious. Right, I can't understand these fucking dots. Uh, it, right, it's, it's funny. So um, uh, 
that was quite good. Um, but he had these things to go through that was outlined for him by the RNIB. And I think being occupied in becoming a skilled blind person um, actually helped in some ways with um, mm-hmm. with um, him putting himself through. Um, but he also said that he was vulnerable uh, to depressive thoughts, if not if not clinical depression, because his energy levels would go down because he had to learn all these new skills, uh, feeling his way around the flat that we both shared, uh, rather than seeing his way around the flat, uh, which added to the exhaustion. So there's a double whammy going on, and mm. I'm learning all this stuff at the same time as coping with the fact that I've got a, a massive um, massive loss. I remember my mother when my father died. Going, oh, I'm going to have to sell the house. So there's a bit of a um, a, a kind of panic that goes on. Um, so where probably well, probably during that bargaining phase, or or the I don't know, at some point during the initial reaction, uh, which is a bit catastrophic, and um, you know, um, uh, you know, and I, I I remember having to persuade my mother that actually, you know, uh, these ideas that she's not going to be able to cope with. Um, all the roles that my father did in the running of the house was unrealistic. And in any case, we can all help. And we we had a bit of a rotation system for a while, you know. But, I mean, in reality, you know, she had a large garden, but it was possible to hire a gardener to go in every now and then. But imagine how overwhelming that is. I mean, imagine having to cope with grief, loss of your father, who was a lovely man, I remember him, and being overwhelmed by the practicalities of the things he used to do around the house. Mm. Poor your mum. Mm. But going back to Richard, then we what was uh, what was really difficult for him, of course, was being reminded of his blindness and all, bumping into stuff. And that's like a double that's a double whammy. It's like, oh God's sake, I've got I was getting used to the, having lost my sight, but now I've just gone and hit my head on something. It's like a really rude kind of reminder. Of it. He said that. He said exactly that. It's like not only yeah, it's it's like an insult to injury. Mm. It's like I'm blind. I feel useless. And bang. My head really hurts because I've twatted it on something that I didn't know was there. Right. Uh, his words, not mine. Which is which is uh, dark, very darkly comic. So he's just past the point where he's been blind for longer than he was sighted. So he's mm. 50 this year. So we're talking 26 years ago um, when he went blind. Um, he still has that bang when he trips over the curb and twists his ankle a little bit. Or he really? Even that? Yeah. No, absolutely. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're blind. And he gets a little bit of... Uh, so most of the time he's absolutely fine. He's got his guard dog and he's, he's able to get around. And he's, but every now and again... Yeah. It uh, says, I presume it's unavoidable. Uh, occasionally you're going to tweak something and yeah. you're going to yeah. get your balance wrong. Yeah. But people talk about that in depression as well. Who suffered from depression. Sometimes they have a bad week or a bad couple of weeks. Mm. And it's just depression tapping them on the shoulder mm. saying, remember me? Mm. Just manage me. So uh, you, me- I remember you saying about Richard, which we should probably just mention quickly, that he... Seemed to go through normal stages of grief to acceptance, but then got a delayed uh, depressive reaction. Right, exactly. So where you, he, he actually was prescribed antidepressants because he seemed to be have all those symptoms of depression. Exactly. Right. So a year or two about. down the line, it was almost like um, a very long honeymoon was over. He was blind still, and he will be, um, unless there's some miracle in science, which actually is not completely inconceivable. No. Um, and he was doing doing great. He's back to work. He's back in the real world. And then suddenly, um, all these thoughts start to take over his mind. So he was always, you know, um, um, he did well with women. He had many relationships. Uh, women liked him. Everybody liked him, really. Still do. Um, 
and he found himself struggling socially and he found himself thinking why on earth um because i think having a relationship with a with a woman was important to him why would a woman want to take on a blind man um and um he he, he started to get a bit interest in, in introspective um didn't he have a bad experience with the rnib as well well the rnib is a wonderful uh, organization but it, it doesn't fit everybody. not the organization specifically it was it was a particular experience yeah i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to knock the organization but he, i remember not him saying he went along to an event a cricket a cricketing event or something um which um and and there were people there that were blind from birth and they they had um so some particular individuals i think just had an effect on them because yeah. they they were sort of implying he wasn't properly, but you know, he was a different category of blind. He wasn't properly blind, he'd be blind well, from that's birth. Right. That's right. It's actually arguably worse. Strange than snobbery going yeah. on. There are, there, there are, and I, I, <clears> I don't think this is a, a general thing. And, and I, I hope people who are listening who are blind don't take offense. But in his experience, there were two communities the blindness from birth and the mm. people who, who so that was a contributory factor, but also maybe there were ongoing difficulties perhaps that he hadn't anticipated initially. And I often think that, that we need to look at difference between a, an event, like a partner leaving a death, and, and something that then is a consequence of that event, mm. which actually may be unforeseen or, or just... But the point is that it's, it's particularly protracted and difficult. So f using the example of the divorce, that's acrimonious, and then there is a custody battle over the children. So it's not the event itself that leads to the depression, but it's that ensuing battle that's, you know, right. over time, which is what we all talked about. It's, it's this sort of, I think that what leads to depression usually is is it's a sort of relentless stress. Uh, that's a, you know? that's a, a thing I hadn't even thought of before, but that's exactly what and happened. And the same thing could happen with a death or, or a loss of sight, you know, that yeah. you're left with these chronic life difficulties mm. that uh, you possibly didn't anticipate say a partner dies and leaves you in incredible debt um, because they, horrendous I mean, imagine that much more difficult then to process the loss and deal with it yeah. in a normal way so we talk a little a bit about helpful ways in which people deal with grief no it's not a helpful podcast yes of course we should absolutely no but maybe we should end up with um things that you can do to prolong your grief <laughs> to make yourself worse or to yeah. or to just get stuck in denial <laughs> Or in bargaining. In, in perpetuity. Although, you know, that's a serious point because some people get stuck. But you know, you know, this definition of the normal time span for grief is bizarrely and hilariously wide. It's from six months to three years. So forget it. Don't even talk about it. So probably I mean? pointless. But um, I suppose it's down to how much you're suffering and how, much, how well you're coping. It's yeah. like anything. When we, dis when we define a disorder, we're talking about an inability really to function. So it, I, I guess if you're stuck in grief uh, to the point where you can't stop breaking down in tears, talking about the deceased or thinking about the deceased three years on, then maybe you should go and see someone. If you can't work, if you can't have a relationship, if you can't move on. I mean, I would say after a year, if you can't move on, year to two years. Because well, it really depends. Uh, I remember a vicar coming round to our house. Why is it when you say a vicar coming round, it's just funny? That's just inherently funny. It's a vicar coming round to the house is inherently funny. Whatever, whatever the situation. Oh, vicar. Uh, yeah, well, he came round for tea uh, <laughs> after my father died. But it, it was incredibly comforting. And he was a great guy and so, so skilled. But I remember him saying to my mother, this is going to take some time to adjust to. And it, 
it's probably going to take a couple of years. People said, oh, yeah, normal grief reaction is about six months. Well, no, because if it's a woman in her you know, later years who's been married for 40 years wow. and loses uh, her husband uh, young, it's all relative. Uh, I'll talk about some coping mechanisms she had. So she threw herself into um, Friends in Retirement. Uh, she did a lot of charity work. She started uh, um, inviting people around for coffee uh, mornings and for kind of... Um, quilting <laughs> quilting sessions i don't know what so ways in which people cope you might build a memorial video clips maybe a website maybe a scrapbook things like that can actually help writing a letter to the deceased if someone that, dies of cancer yeah, you might work for a cancer yeah. uh, charity yeah. or, or set up a new new new, new uh, fundraising event yeah i mean this is why i would never dismiss the work of people who work for organized religious um, groups. I remember a chat with Steve Coogan once. I oh, met yeah. Steve Coogan, right? Wow. And he went on to later to make the film Philomena. And I didn't realise that the discussion we were having at the time were probably formative and part of what he was going through to write. You the should script. have got a credit. You should have got like an exec producer credit on the film. I was, I can't. I was robbed. Are you still pissed off with him? Yeah, he's got no respect. Uh, so lovely, actually great guy, quite serious. And I remember him talking about this and he was saying yeah i agree with you why would you want to argue someone out of their faith when that faith helps them get through loss and adversity yeah, quite right. and all those things quite right and i think actually it's a certain intellectual arrogance to try and do that mm. personally i don't believe in god but uh, i don't know okay cool all right that was pretty good i think we nailed most of loss have we got any uh, take-home messages? Yeah, we do. So uh, the take-home messages, uh, as I've we call them, are as follows. One, uh, loss uh, often results in the five cycles that we discussed. There is a difference between the depressive cycle and um, what we might call clinical depression, although there are similarities, which means that the way that you would... There's an overlap. Uh, an overlap indeed, which means that the way that you would help someone... In the depressive depressive phase of loss, um, there is some overlap with the ways that you'd help someone who is um, clinically depressed. There's a process you go through, but it doesn't mean you're going insane. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're going to be like this forever. I think it's the important thing, right? Beautifully summed up. But don't be afraid of, of, of seeking professional help, I guess. Right? Uh, right. We'll see you next time. You betcha. Hey, thanks for joining us on Why the Long Face. As ever, we're here to inform, hopefully, and entertain, but we're not here to give you medical advice. There is, however, information on our website, ytlf.com, that's W-H-Y-T-L-F.com, about where to get help. See you next time.